0: and i swallowed water
1: hmm. that's not how that works
0: no it says the cold
1: open <laughs> this is the most painful open to listen to ever <laughs>
0: Whew, okay now i can breathe sorry
1: For the Mundangerous Chuck E. Cheese in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan, And welcome to episode 93 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours.
0: In this episode, we're talking about playing games with small parties. But first, the rogue traders spring themselves from prison in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the halfling rockslinger lets loose in the Character
1: Creation Forge. So just a friendly reminder that TPT shirts are available on TeePublic. There is a link in the show notes.
0: They're available for only a limited time, so get them while
1: you can. The limited time being the lifetime of this podcast. Yes. (laughs) Which, let's be honest, all good things end, Shane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our life expectancies are 78 years each, and you are about halfway consumed of yours. Yeah, very true. So Mm -hmm. maybe 40 years to go. I eat more vegetables, though. Good for you. Uh, also, this is the final reminder about the Catacon Kickstarter. Um, this is Catacon 2017, is a convention happening in Dayton, Ohio, from November 10th through 12th, um, hosted by the RPG Academy, and they are using Kickstarter to um, sell badges for the event. So it's not the only way to get badges, but it's the best way to support it because that helps them reserve the venue and book guests and all that stuff. And I will be a special guest, um, though I am unpaid. Well, that's why you're special. So none of your Kickstarter dollars go to me. (laughs) And in fact, I backed the Kickstarter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Look at it this way. You were going to go to lovely Dayton, Ohio anyway, right? Mm, Nope. No, 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 (laughs) no. no. (laughs)
1: Wasn't wasn't ever,
0: actually. (laughs) It's called flyover country because people love to fly over it to land there and then spend their hard-earned East and West Coast dollars at the Denny's. Right. I, I assume this is Denny's. It's, oh, it's Ohio, right? Yeah. Uh, last time I did eat at a Waffle House, which of was a nice little cool course course the past. <laughs> All right. So we also have a bit of news in the latest Sage Advice podcast. Jeremy Crawford said an interesting thing, which okay. sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. All right. Uh, he clarified that the passive perception score uh, is a floor. What that means is your passive perception is the lowest that you can get when you are making a perception check. Now, it's always on. So if there's something for you to notice where the DC is your passive perception score or lower, you notice it. And if you say, I'm going to make a perception check, and then you roll the dice, and that adds up to less than your passive perception score, you still get the result of your passive perception score. You can never get lower than that.
1: So that makes everyone has reliable talent, the level 10 ability for rogues. Yep. For perception only, though, it may be investigation. Because there's kind of a passive investigation via feat?
0: Uh, Yeah. Depending on who you ask, there's either passive investigation, or if you have the observant feat, then you have a passive investigation score.
1: Okay. Yeah. I don't like that. I gotta be honest. I, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense.
0: I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference from the way that people were typically playing.
1: Probably. So the way that we have used passive perception in D&D 5e is if the DC would be lower than your passive perception, you succeed. Mm-hmm. If you roll...
0: Maybe you screw it up.
1: Maybe you in screw it up. In some manner. Right. Yeah. Um, and you are worse off than you would have been not rolling right but you have the chance also to succeed and, and find something you wouldn't have right so I, I don't know i mean maybe it is functionally the same it just feels really weird to codify the idea that everybody has reliable perception
0: well yeah i am less concerned about this particular scenario because like i said i think a lot of people already play like this um if you don't i think that's also fine like there have definitely been times especially in something like dark sun where we're like okay you're all ooh, everybody screwed up you guys hear nothing because you've like gotten in each other's ways or whatever yeah you know yeah um the potential issues come when you start going well do you have passive stealth right are you always being like really stealthy when you walk around yeah is there passive knowledge right um the consensus that I have seen, and of course there's no clarification from Watsy, is that you you don't. You don't have like passive athletics. Like your passive athletics is you walk around and don't have to make checks to open doors or to like not trip over your feet.
1: I, yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I would say that even with like lore skills specifically, right? Sometimes we just ask, Does that, is anybody proficient in history? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know this because it's a basic history fact that people proficient in history know. Right. You don't need to make a roll. Um, so you kind of get the benefit of it without ever having to roll, which to me means it's basically a passive score, right?
0: Yeah, and there are definitely times when I'm like, okay, let me do the math on like what athletics check you need to get in order to like jump a certain distance. Let's just make this way easier. Like if you're quote unquote passive athletics, and I wouldn't even call it that, right? I would say if like 10 plus your athletics bonus is 16, like you can always automatically jump 10 feet. Like if there's a 10 foot pit, like you just you just do that while you're moving.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it feels weirder to me than it probably makes a difference. But I don't know. It seems like a, a strange concept.
0: I mean, if things feel weird to you, Shane, maybe
1: you just need
0: to give them a chance. You could be that you like it.
1: The past three years, we've been <laughs> giving it a chance.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, usually you're uncomfortable with things. You don't like change. Is that true? I mean, you're a white guy from Atlanta. So, is that true?
1: <laughs> I mean, that's true, but like, is it true that I don't like
0: change? It? Don't really I'm just time. stereotyping, so it's probably true. All
1: right, yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to change that.
0: Speaking of hating change, speaking of settings that hate change, <laughs> speaking of getting used to new experiences,
1: <laughs> where is the party in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? Shoving explosive chemicals up their bums. That's true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Only two of
1: them. So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Rogue Trader game that we played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition by Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, You are the Rogue Trader crew of the His Enduring Light and have been ambushed and captured by Dark Eldar while answering the distress call of an Imperial Navy frigate. Uh, You were thrown in jail, tortured excessively, put to work. Is there any amount of torture that isn't excessive? Uh, well, it's 40k, so again, <laughs> okay, okay. you know, it's yeah. like, there's baseline torture. The standards are different, yeah. 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 Well, life is just worse, you know. <laughs> um, you've you've been imprisoned. Uh, you bravely rushed the guards uh, of your sort of makeshift cell, uh, which cost your arch-militant Draco his hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have devised a plan and sort of put into motion an approach that you think might get you out of this with your skins maybe even with some profit. So here's your plan. You need to kill one of the Dark Eldar Incubi, Sure, who is the rival of one of your fellow prisoners, um, Serith, also an incubus. Then you need to gather all the prisoners um, of your cell who are uh, a motley crew of orcs and humans and um, a, a strange carbon-fiber-looking cylinder... And uh, and of course the Dark Eldar Serath, the original like the term Motley Crew
0: right before the band, the term Motley Crew was invented to describe this group of characters. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's <laughs> Rogues Gallery is also. <laughs> a, <laughs>
0: if only we were all better at sneaking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> then you need to make your way to the main Medicaid Bay aboard the ship, uh, steal a hand for your Archmilitant Draco so mm-hmm. that Doc can reattach it later, and then get to a hangar bay and escape. So, of course, we split up because we've got a lot of work to do. And because this is, you know, me GMing, you're almost invariably forced to split up. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it always works out great.
1: I think more than anything, that might be my hallmark as a GM is forcing <laughs> forcing the party to abandon the idea of never split the party. It's a good thing we always specialize. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. So one group of us, it is our job to take on sure the incubus. So they sneak into his chambers,
1: which we located earlier while on torture duty. And <laughs> you mean because you were there being tortured.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you have schematics of the ship now that you've uh, downloaded from the main cogitator core. So. so now we're sure, huh? Ah, uh, uh, yeah.
0: Where he lives once we're in there uh we drop the explosives that we've rigged together a bunch of explosive collars along with potentially volatile chemicals uh topped with some prometheum
1: set that off nice big explosion um pretty much sends the ship uh into a frenzy Mm -hmm. because turns out if you blow up the second in command of a hostile dark eldar occupation force uh they go scrambling like ants whose mound you have kicked
0: or maybe more like a hornet's nest. More like a hornet's yeah, nest, yeah. yeah. Fortunately, it means we didn't need to signal the other group because they heard the explosion. And it was go time for them. That's right. In the chaos, uh, they and the other party members grabbed the orcs, uh, the wonder twins, which my character Trank believes must be somehow magically powerful or very important uh, characters. Because otherwise, why would they be twins? Because it doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, they, in the world they have
1: to be, if they're twins. That's the twins for a reason. Things you know about them: they are twins. <laughs> they are exceptionally seasick, uh, void sick, I guess, because you're in space. And the Dark Eldar thought they were special enough to put them in the same cell as you. Good enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> so they gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Bring
0: them along, and then also the Dark Eldar, who you know may come in handy. And using the vents because we are. No, we're not actually that that sneaky. I don't actually know how the orcs fit through the air ducts, but I guess it's because they thought they would fit through the air ducts. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
1: because orcs <laughs> can fit through air ducts. That's how they fit. Duh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we all meet up in the Medicaid Bay, grab a hand for Draco, and then finally it seems like maybe things are going our way. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. All right, so this week we're talking about running a game with a small party, say two or three players.
1: And this one comes from a question from one of our listeners, Sarah. Um, she asked just found the podcast as I'm prepping for my first campaign. One question I'd hope you could answer for me is how to run a campaign with two to three people. Is that possible? Advisable, especially with combat. I could use any advice you guys would be willing to share. So first off, Sarah,
0: uh, Thanks so much for getting in touch with us, and good luck with your first campaign.
1: And congratulations yeah. for taking the plunge into GMing. That cool. is not an easy decision.
0: That's right. Um, and you now have the dubious honor of uh, being featured on Total Party Real. <laughs> Uh Also, it is not advisable or possible to run a game with two to three players, so end of discussion.
1: Okay, great. So what's next on the character creation for you? <laughs> Uh, Nope, it is quite possible. Yeah,
0: and it's actually a lot of fun. You can do things with a small party that you can't do with a quote-unquote normal-sized party, but we'll get into that. So, Shane, what are these benefits of having just a few players
1: so I think the biggest one is you get more screen time, more spotlight for each character.
0: Yeah. When you're playing in one of these games, like it's all about you. Right. Yeah. You, know?
1: you are one third of the story now instead of one sixth or one eighth or whatever. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, like
0: we've said before, we have had up to seven players at the table. We routinely
1: have seven players at the table. <laughs> yeah. And that
0: is, it takes some management. hmm Yeah and patience (laughs) (laughs) as a player while you're waiting for your turn (laughs) but the turns come fast and furious when there's only two to three of you
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so there's also fewer personalities to manage um, and try and tailor your game for you know there's just less objectives to try and satisfy so um, each player will get more of a say in the direction of the story and can kind of um, you can kind of direct that story according to what they enjoy most
0: It also means that you can get a lot more um, intimate or personal when dealing with the stories of those characters. So, you know, when you have six players, it's really tough to devote an entire session or, you know, parts of each session going forward to like the personal backstory of one character. And it's even more difficult to like tie that in to like the backstories of. Other characters, or enough other characters, so that people actually care, like what happened 14 years ago in this tiny village. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with two to three, well, it's quite possible everyone already knows each other, or the strands of fate somehow have brought them together for a reason. They are bound together. If you think about in terms of like a television show with an ensemble cast, when you've got a ton of them, it's really tough to have an episode that sort of gives you the flashback. Mm -hmm. of, like, what someone was doing before this story began, right? Like, look at Lost. It's like, okay, well, we've lost the entire thread of, like, what the season was supposed to be because we spent, you know, 42 minutes figuring out what happened to Kate. And we didn't didn't figure out what happened to Kate. It's always Kate. (laughs) But you can do that and keep your other one or two players engaged while that's happening. Yeah. Because... At the table, they're actually the audience.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can also tell smaller stories. Mm-hmm. You know, like in some way, like it almost feels if you are going to have an ensemble cast of six players, or or you know, adding NPCs, you know, you could you could have eight or nine principal kind of characters in a story, right? Um, it almost has to have high stakes to have that many people involved and invested with their own diverse backgrounds going in the same direction. You know, like, what it takes to unite six people is just bigger than what it takes to unite two, right? Like, I would go on an adventure with my best friend because they're my best friend. It doesn't have to be any bigger than that, right? I don't have to be saving the world. I just want to spend time with my best friend.
0: You know, but he is saving the world because there's his ring. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, in that case, <laughs> how come my friend gets to be Frodo and I have to be stupid Sam-wise? I'm just saying, your excuse, friend was going on the adventure and you're joining. Excuse me, Mr. Best Friend.
1: <laughs> can I cook for you? Can I can I cook for you and call you Mr. the whole time? Can I carry you? <laughs> uh, but but yeah, you know what I mean? It's It's like you could still tell the same huge sweeping epics, but you can also tell much smaller stories and not wonder like... Wait, why are we all here, like, just taking this trip in a caravan?
0: Yeah, the lowest common denominator is bigger Mm -hmm. when you've got more people. Right. two people from the same village. Or, you know, two people, three of us, hey, I care what happens to your village. We're going to save this village? Yeah, I can get on board with
1: that. But there's no way you're going to get all seven people to care about one tiny village. Uh, Yeah, I mean, literally, unless they are all from that village, and that's all they know. is that village, right? Or your Kurosawa fair so magnificent seven (laughs) that's basically a kurosawa film right yes yes it is it borrows from the
0: greats (laughs) i mean but that's the one storyline you can do right Yeah, yeah yeah it's also easier to run like a sandbox game uh, or like a setting or a world where it, it's open and the decisions or proclivities of the players or the characters really influence the shaping of that world.
1: Yeah, I am trying to uh, get the term emergent story into the lexicon. It's not going to happen. I want it to happen, though, because I like, feel like it's a better description. Stop trying to make it happen. It's not truly... Anyway, but yeah, the idea that the players will just exist in the world and the story will coalesce around them um, Is much easier to do when you have smaller groups of players pulling at threads in the world. You know, it's it's if everyone runs off in their own direction as soon as they get to town. Well, then you've got eight plot threads or six plot threads when you might have a single plot thread with a smaller group.
0: Yeah, like I remember in the Morning Glory campaign, uh, there was a time right around level I guess fourteen where we were beginning to ramp up to like the final like full arc of the campaign you know okay here i'm presenting you know the stakes and like how what you need to do in order to save the world and i remember thinking oh man i really need to like give them all a reason to do this mm-hmm. you know because it was a party where people were like oh i have my own goals and motivations and we're from different countries and i'm gonna go in this direction i'm gonna go in this direction and i actually had to be like all right i'm just gonna write a freaking prophecy i'm gonna name each one of them in this stupid prophecy and be like look
1: you got to do this. That's right. The draconic Prophecy says you have to do this. <laughs> it's really funny because you probably didn't even have to do that. Just from my perspective, right? I can't speak for any of the other players in Morning Glory. But it didn't matter at that point what my character's like personal motivations were, right? Because at the end of the day, if the world ends, all of this is petty. It's where he keeps his stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, like, I couldn't fix the church. The brand could not fix the Church of the Silver Flame if there was no church of the silver flame left right well i mean okay well (laughs) damned if you do yeah (laughs) i mean he later had to do that (laughs) but at level 14 (laughs) the point where he had to get
0: bought in (laughs) i'm just saying you go left you destroy your your god you go right you destroy your god yeah fair If you think about the kinds of tropes that as a GM you use to draw in players or make them feel like there's something bigger happening, two or three is a, well, more magical number. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. things happen in threes. You have three players. Oh my goodness. Each of you represents something, right? Some aspect of creation.
1: Right. The three zodiacs.
0: Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, 12-player parties are easy.
1: <laughs> the, the three uh, primary colors. Oh, there you go. That's good. Or the three fates, you know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to... I forgot there were actually three primary colors. I was still trying to name non-threes.
0: <laughs> <gasps> there are three. Also, how about the three tertiary colors? This is a small campaign. Yeah.
1: Right? <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I, I think a corollary to this discussion of... of sandbox games though is it's also easier to run improvisational games Mm -hmm. i barely have to prep for three people um other than the encounters that don't really have to be that elaborate because they don't need to pull in as much of a diverse skill set to challenge you Um, you know you you could really kind of take it as it comes because there's only so many wrenches those characters can throw if the players are playing to their character and also
0: the player doesn't need to be as careful when they are coming up with new material or adjusting the direction of either the story or the world because there are fewer people to who need to sort of adjust to fit that. You know, yeah. if you have seven people now everyone's backstory changes because there's a new nation, like over the hill or whatever. If there's two or three of you you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I can get behind that.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, these two people want to go do X and these two people want to go do Y and this person wants to do Z it's like, Oh goodness. You know, we're,
0: we're deciding what movie to watch. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) Three people's way
1: easier to do than seven. Yeah. Yeah. Or or what toppings to put on the GM's pizza. Right. (laughs) You should never touch.
0: (laughs) All right. What are the challenges when you've only got a few players?
1: So mechanically speaking, most systems make assumptions about the makeup of the PCs. Mm -hmm. Um, how many of them there are, what kinds of abilities they'll have between them, the fewer PCs you have and the further afield you get from meeting those baseline assumptions, the more difficult it is for the GM to plan the game and, and to use things um, like mechanical things as they were intended. So you can't just go pull an encounter or pull a monster or pull a trap and throw it at your party. Um, they they very well might not have the ability to deal with that because they're missing a key element um, from the system.
0: Right. It might work, but you need to read through it and be like, okay, do they have all of these bases covered? Right. right? Because it assumes fighter, cleric, rogue, wizard. Mm-hmm. And, well, you are definitely missing at least one of those. Yeah.
1: Whereas, like, you know, with a level 12 D&D party of six players... You can pretty much pick anything that matches the CR target because right. if they can't deal with it, honestly, it's on them. <laughs> you right? You know, like there's six of you. One of you should have figured this out and realized it.
0: I, I said maybe you don't want to have six fighters. Yeah, <laughs> six champion fighters. <laughs> Although I guess you could just play three bards. Yeah. Right. Done. Everything covered. Perfect. <laughs>
1: Um, I, I think the challenge of this comes from a lot of games don't really document those assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. They're kind of more implicit than they are explicit. So, um, and especially as a new GM, it can be difficult to see sort of where those boundaries are and, and how in or out of them that your party will land.
0: Right. 5E talks a bit about the three like pillars of the game you know, combat, exploration, and interaction. Mm hmm. I don't know how much does that show up in the PHB though? Because if you're a player and you're making a character, I don't think it's very explicit at all that like these are probably things you want the whole party to have covered.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And I I mean, look at spell lists, right? Like spell lists alone obfuscate so much mechanical detail around power level and capability of a class Mm -hmm. that it could be extremely difficult for new players, especially Um, to to sort out what they should be doing, right? Like it's easy to have a cleric who doesn't take bless because they don't realize how powerful that is as a force multiplier for the group.
0: And it's a bit honestly unfair to expect the players to be able to competently adjudicate whether they've got all the bases that they need covered in a game. So as a GM, you should be looking at uh, their sheets and their capabilities and their plans right for leveling up and figuring out if they're going to be able to handle the kinds of challenges that they need to be able to handle if there's no one who can pick a lock that's potentially a problem
1: Mm -hmm. and i think this is gonna show up most in combat Mm -hmm. but as you mentioned you know the other pillars of the game um are also at risk But yeah, it's it's easier to fix with the other pillars in combat.
0: Like everything's on the table and it's like it's so based on what the dice give you that you really need to have a good baseline in order to handle something. Like if there is no meat shield, if there's no melee combatant, then your ranged spellcasters are going to have a very difficult time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I always find it beneficial to have either uh, a third-party intervention that could end the combat prematurely. Typically, better not to be uh, an NPC who comes in and saves the day. But some, some kind of deus ex machina, you know, an alarm goes off and scares off the thieves, right? Something like that is probably a little bit better than having them shown up by an NPC in yeah the, in the GM's control I agree especially
0: like a GMPC or like a DM NPC is going to feel like they have much more impact in a small party yeah yeah so I would definitely like shy away from that
1: but the flip side is a reason to run away is a great element to build into your encounters mm-hmm. so they might have three bandits but the other two bandits are gonna run as soon as one of them falls right and just build that in regardless of how the combat is going that way you can kind of test the waters a little bit better and if they you know focus fire and kill one of the bandits well the other two will keep on fighting because that hasn't really been a great test and you know if, if the tables are starting to turn a bit maybe the second one falls and then the third one runs you know those kind of things right they don't need perfect information that you have about their capabilities
0: I also might, in this particular scenario, have in my back pocket the you get captured and like go to jail or the ransom conversation encounter Mm -hmm. in your back pocket. because Like that way you don't need to murder TPK your entire like small party. They just are going to lose some gold, but, you know, potentially make a contact on the inside. Right. So let's get into some like more specific advice for someone who's running a game with a small party.
1: So we've been hinting at this, um, kind of nibbling around the edges, but I think first one is scale down the challenge of combat accordingly as best you can. If that means using the CR tables and choosing slightly less challenging encounters for their level, um, that's a good place to start. Uh, But in general, I would just try and cut it back as far as you can early on and test the waters and see how they do and then slowly ramp it up until you're getting the right level of challenge and just kind of always keep in mind that it's a uh, inexact science and I mean the CR tables suck in d d but mm-hmm. they're still probably the best ones running you know outside of like maybe fourth edition
0: yeah yeah exactly right, like
1: maybe Star Wars Saga I don't know
0: those are better but yeah uh, honestly 4e especially the later ones were really good like pretty spot on but
1: otherwise Just, CR I'm is like want to play the game super inaccurate in so many especially at higher levels At yeah. lower
0: levels a little bit better although you got some weird outliers and remember, like, if you have thrown too much at them, a goblin with 15 hit points and a goblin with two hit points functions mechanically the same way in D&D. Mm-hmm. So your players don't need to know exactly how close to death they are. Yeah. So if they deal six damage with a short sword and things are looking very dire, maybe that 15 hit point goblin dies. Mm-hmm fudge yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's another thing you can do um kind of an advanced trick right is provide more details about the attackers kind of mid combat that allow you to change the perception of them so if it seems that they have too many hp initially uh and you're realizing this as the fight is going on you know maybe have one of them kind of like wait what's your passive perception Oh, you notice like this group of goblins actually appears rather sickly, like maybe they they haven't eaten well recently. Maybe they're not as strong as you thought, mm-hmm. right? And then have their hit points and now your encounter is that much less difficult, right? They might have had a very tough go of the first goblin and they're thinking, "Oh my god, I'm not sure we can do this." And it turns out the rest of them look really weak and that was the strongest one they just took down.
0: It's nice to sort of tack on they might be like, okay, I'm going to make a perception check. I'm trying to see if there's a way out of here. Yeah. You know? Okay, they get a 16. Well, no, you don't see. This is a dead end, like you thought the first time. But you do notice this about the goblins. Right. And that also works really well with skill checks in general when you have a small party because they're going to have, by definition, fewer skills covered.
1: Yeah. So, actually, that's a that's another good piece of advice, right, is get used to kind of failing forward, mm-hmm. right? Almost like a decent role that isn't good enough still gets you something. hmm Um, Like another example, even that one in combat, right? We're looking for a way out. Well, you didn't roll high enough to get that, but you also didn't botch it. So you do notice something about the goblins. Right. Or something that can help you in the fight, but not not a trapdoor that leads away. Yeah, or those rocks look awful loose up there. Maybe enough force would cause them to slide.
0: Hmm. We already mentioned this, but it bears repeating. Resist the urge to add npcs that you are controlling yeah
1: the uh DMPC,
0: mm-hmm. if you will uh, you really want to keep the pcs focused on each other in terms of story and already there are three or four of you like real people in the real world sitting at a table that is the interaction that you're having if you introduce an npc now it is all the other NPCs that you control as the GM interacting with
1: that character
0: and now you have four people at a table and one person's talking to themselves
1: right and worse I think you know implicit in what we said about the benefits of of sharing spotlight but I I think smaller groups are good at getting interaction directly PC to PC right so two characters interacting with each other without any intervention from the DM Mm -hmm. right just role playing a conversation in character is just easier in a smaller group
0: Yeah, because when you have seven people at a table, It's amazing when you get two people who are intense, like having an intense discussion. Mm -hmm. But you need to then pull them out of it a bit, or involve other people, so that everyone else isn't getting bored.
1: Right. You've got a larger audience for every one-on-one conversation.
0: Exactly. But two or three players, some of the best sessions are the ones where, like, you as a GM don't really do much. Oh yeah, that's in fact that's my goal of every session (laughs) is not to do much. (laughs) Right. Everything else aside. Yeah. Like.
1: (laughs) Ideally, you guys would just push the story forward and roll a few. And I'll, all I do is ask you to roll a few dice every once in a while.
0: I like in the middle of a session uh, when I can make a judgment call and go, yep, I can definitely have another whiskey because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're good here. <laughs> <laughs> Figuring out a riddle? Yes. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> or uh, it's, it's always that pleasant one where it's like, oh, we are past the point where I can safely start and finish a combat before the session ends. Right. So I got to find something that keeps you guys talking to each other for a while. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We've been nipping at the edges of this,
0: but uh, we are absolutely going to uh, put in a recommendation for having a session zero when you've got a small party. We always recommend this, but that
1: recommendation is not changing at all.
0: We've said take a look at your party makeup make sure that they're able to handle the kinds of challenges that you have planned for them. And the best way to do that is not you like sitting at home alone looking at sheets that like people emailed you. The best way is paper sheets on a table all together. Yeah. So that you can plan together and then the party members can talk to each other and plan together and say, "Well, you know what? We don't have anyone doing lore skills. Like my intelligence is okay. It's not bad. I could do that. And that's interesting for my character." Mm-hmm. And someone else being like, "Yeah, I have an 8 intelligence." But I've got a 14 wisdom. Right. Why
1: don't I be the scout? Yep. So that helps you cover, you know, your archetypes, your skills, your combat roles, all those types of things. I think it's also very telling if they choose not to cover something. Mm -hmm. Um, And this isn't specific to D&D, but um, the pilot and the hacker are those two edge cases in other settings. Well,
0: that's why you make the pilot hacker.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm good at two things. Neither of which will ever come up. Right. But it's one of the, I I feel like there are always things you can get by without that. They're, they're a luxury kind of role. Right. Mm -hmm. And if no one is covering those roles, they're kind of voting with their feet that they don't want those to be important themes in the game. Right. Um, Similarly, right. If no one takes a character who has a tie to a deity, for example, um, and no one has a background that's tied to religion, uh, your players might be kind of telling you, Hey, like we don't really want to explore religion as a theme of our game. Um, so you might take that piece of it and just sort of cut it out. Um, that's probably a little bit harder to do with stuff like stealth or um, any type of like sleight of hand or lock picking or any of the face skills like, um, you know, social skills mm-hmm. because they tend to be focal points of the games that have them. Uh, but some of the other skills you could probably get away without, and and as a as a DM or as a GM, you just have to accept like I'm not I'm gonna be fair. They've chosen not to do that, and I won't throw those challenges at them um, just because they can't handle it. I won't punish them.
0: No one has the religion skill. Well, maybe the arc you had planned that's all about like interacting with like gods on their planes okay maybe that will be really interesting because you have very much a fish out of water party but understand that that is what you're getting into mm-hmm. like they're not going to be like rocking these amazing religion checks and being like oh I discovered like this old scroll that was like apocryphal like that's not happening with them right and they're probably not that interested in it maybe instead of gods you're talking about like demon princes mm-hmm. and that's something that they can handle with arcana and they're very good at that
1: right right or uh, they might be thinking of Fae, right? Right. And, uh, and that's a great use nature or arcana.
0: With something like stealth, if no one has that covered, I actually think excellent. no yeah. <laughs> one has stealth, great. We will hand wave stealth. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to know the rules. Right. <laughs> you want to get there quietly? Yeah, yeah, you probably do.
1: Oh, just give me a roll. It's like when somebody says, oh, none of us know how to grapple. I'm like, <laughs> agree like we I agree to the detente. That's right. <laughs> we will not learn these rules.
0: <laughs> you don't want to be grappled. You ain't getting grappled. It's fine. We're yeah. good.
1: <laughs> um I think it is important though with small groups. You want to encourage each PC to wear multiple hats mm-hmm. rather than deeply specializing. Um because it's a small group especially like a munchkin or power gamer, might be inclined to go super deep in one thing because that's going to give them a chance to shine extra bright in their um, you know, two-weapon fighter mold or whatever. Um, you really want to strongly discourage that, I think, because you need the broader skill set to keep the mechanics of the system operating uh, in the way that you expect they will, which just makes your life easier as a GM.
0: This may mean that you need to either encourage something like multiclassing uh, or like make it known to your players that you're not going to be penalizing it like mm-hmm. some GMs like to
1: yeah i love the idea i i've never done this but i love the idea of requiring like multiclassing oh like you must have like one level of multiclass by level 3 that's interesting or level 5 right so that everyone will be slow to the level 5 power cutoff
0: if you're an experienced GM then you might want to just go ahead and start your players at a higher level or start them with more experience points. Uh, you could also like give a free feat or a, a talent or you know some ability or it might be that you just hand out uh, extra starting gear right instead of the 100 gold and buy from here you get two uncommon magic items and you have
1: non-magical kit. Yeah. Um one thing that I see a lot in games is a like a bonus utility magic item Mm. you know something that doesn't help you in combat but gives you some bonus outside of combat Uh, broom of flying done yeah i know that's always that's always (laughs) a good one i'll take the that cloak of disguise please
0: aside from combat you want to ensure that the pcs all have some kind of tie to one another even if that isn't a personal tie they don't have to be from the same town but you know maybe they have something in common that opens up lines of dialogue and gives them things to attach to
1: yeah and it also gives you group cohesion not just interacting with the world but interacting with each other within the world
0: yeah when you have six players and one person feels like i don't really know why i'm traveling with this party the sort of gravity of the group usually will keep one errant person in line. They'll be like, well, I mean, if everyone else is doing it, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Like, I'm not going to strike out on my own.
1: These are the five strongest adventures I know. I guess I'm going to stick with them.
0: Yep. But when there are three... (laughs) Right. Like, what I want to do is just as important as
1: what you two want to do. Yeah. And I
0: bet I can convince the two of you to do what I want to do.
1: Yep, yep. So... Having shared beliefs is a great thing, right? Um, They could be from the same nation or members of the same order or um, worship the same deity. So they have kind of a, a core set of beliefs that are aligned or have a strong personal connection, but conflicting beliefs. You know, so there's there's a reason for them to not always agree, but something that ties them together. So they always stick together like they're brothers. That's like our go to. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like half of our characters.
0: It's also helpful and you know, this actually occurs even before a session 0, but find the right players for a small game. 3 power gamers is going to work if you're planning to play like a hardcore dungeon crawl where, you know, there's a good chance of people dying. But if you want to have like an intense emotional discussion where like relationships develop maybe even romantic relationships yeah if you're gonna
1: try and play like blue rose
0: maybe those three power gamers are not the people to play that game with
1: Mm -hmm. Um, i think specific to the size of the group um shire players who don't like having the spotlight you mean like halflings (laughs) yeah people from the shire (laughs) yes that's obviously (laughs) what i mean uh but but people who don't like having being put on the spot um might actually dislike the added attention of smaller games. Mm -hmm. So they might prefer a bigger group. So keep that in mind that it's not like a universally better experience to have a smaller group.
0: Right, a casual gamer too, who actually may feel like they want a few minutes in between their turn to, I don't know, check email or like, you know, play a very quick game on their phone. Right, right.
1: And then also keep in mind, opposite play styles might come more into conflict when they're not being sort of regulated by a larger group. So I'm thinking like if you have a butt kicker and like a method actor as your two players, mm-hmm. right? One of them is going to want to fight and the other is going to want to role play. And, you know, mature players might be able to find a middle ground there, but newer players might struggle with that. Like, I enjoy this, you enjoy that. How do we get this? Right. There's only two of us. We should be able to both get what we want here. Let's do my thing. And
0: even mature players, in that scenario, it might end up that they're like, okay, you're the method actor. Like, you talk. Do the talking. I support you talking. And then when we get to the fighting, I do the fighting. But it kind of means we're playing two different games. Kind of, yeah. So, Shane you specifically how do you go about running a small game because like you like them
1: yeah I, I prefer smaller games for sure my ideal size is three so if, regardless of system that's what i prefer from a social perspective uh, but so i like to build a rich background for the players to explore and then let them figure out what parts are the most interesting to them and start telling the story that they want to be a part of right so I very much like to use small groups like kind of just an emergent story from what those three players find interesting Uh, whereas when I have a bigger group I feel like I need to lead them a little bit more Mm. because it's much easier for everyone to go off in a different direction and not find any group cohesion in the story yeah big group it's like I mean herding cats right literally Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) if you play Eclipse phase you could literally (laughs) herd cats
0: a robotic cat herder with cat pheromones right.
1: <laughs> coming out of my human pores. Um, and then the exception to that is uh, I, I, I also like building games where it's kind of specifically testing the player characters. Um, and then the thematic elements become teamwork and loyalty. And, and the dramatic questions become like, what would you sacrifice for you know your close friend or, or whatever that you might not necessarily see in a bigger game? So similar to another
0: question that we got via email, uh, you want to play Degrassi High and teach them
1: moral lessons? <laughs> I uh, no, I don't. I don't think there has to be a lesson in it. I, I like posing that question, right? Of like, what are the things that might drive a wedge between two people, and how do you overcome that, right? And and is it the stress of delving into a dungeon, or is it, um, you know, you come from different noble houses and. Um, you're, you know, struggling with doing the right thing versus what's best for your family kind of, you know, those kind of questions I think are are fun to ask of a small group specifically.
0: Yeah, I like when you can delve into those philosophical issues, Mm -hmm. but you really need to pick the right group right? to do that. That
1: game becomes a test, right? I mean, of their kind of ability to stay in character almost. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I wouldn't do that for a large group because I think that – internal struggle gets lost when you have a lot of characters
0: right like simple themes
1: work better for a large group do the right thing right yeah save everything yeah like you know what are we willing to give up as a group (laughs) not individually draco's hand right (laughs) done (laughs) it reminds me a bit of um was it Ultima four like quest of the avatar remember that one nope no i didn't play any of the i only played ultima online and actually Uh, i only like played the free trial of ultima online i did some fletching made some arrows (laughs) i sold them and then my aol free trial and my ultima online free trial ended and so my parents made me stop i mean maybe that was
0: teaching you the virtue of humility
1: of dollar bills dollar dollar bills bills.
0: um well anyway that game uh, was based around sort of teaching the player eight different virtues and like you would it's an RPG, right? You have to take actions that exemplify virtues, like compassion and self-sacrifice and
1: humility, things like that. Oh, just like Mega Man. It was like the virtues of killing various elemental <laughs> things in the right their order, weapons. taking their weapon and using <laughs> it against the next element. I understand. Those, those are the virtues <laughs> in Mega Man, right?
0: <laughs> yes. He's, he's teaching libertarian values. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but there was a certain type of player who hated Ultima Four because they were like, What what is this
1: stupid stuff? Yeah, stop preaching to me.
0: Yeah, exactly. I loved it. It was cool.
1: Um yeah, I guess I guess Planescape would be the contrasting mm. point of view there, right? Um it's sort of the sort of game that I like, the Planescape Torment, where you could go any direction and you could approach it any way, and you're going to find different things wherever you look. But you could still sort of decide which philosophical discipline you were interested in following, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. and then test that against the game. Almost, yeah, it right?
0: works really well as a, like a single person video game. Yeah, <laughs> not so much with six players. No, I joined the Sensates. Oh, great! I'm a mercy killer. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> how does it feel when I stab you? Exactly. <laughs> <sighs> uh, how about you, Ishan? Uh, you don't run small games as often, do you? Usually what happens is you have a big group and then only three people show
0: up. Right, yeah. Right, that happens a lot. And so you need to still be adept and the session changes. You want to run this that individual session like you would for a game with a smaller group. Yeah, yeah. Um I don't I don't necessarily prefer a smaller group. I like big groups as well. Um but I I like being able to mix it up and I like what it offers because I really enjoy the world building and getting into um offering specific interactions or even easter eggs for players and their characters so if someone gives me a backstory i really like to integrate that in some way either it's like creating an npc that they know or who is like tailored to be a a foil or or someone who can help them or whatever right Mm -hmm. and when you have a small group one thing that i like to do in order to sort of flesh out their capabilities is not give them someone who travels with them but give them uh the ability to make a lot of contacts and friends uh who exist like back in the city or home base or wherever that they can call on for favors or or for help, so mm-hmm. maybe there's no lore master in the group, but they saved the like son of the head librarian, and now, like if they have a magic item and they have to figure out like what's the backstory on it, they go to her, and she's like, "Well, yeah, leave it with me for a week and like i'm I'm gonna do this for you, so it's just like how the accountant Ben Affleck has his handler. Is that the one where
1: he uh, does math for, like, the mob? Yeah, he he cooks books for the mob, yeah. Oh, okay. He's, he's an accountant. Why does he have a gun on the poster? Uh, does be, he shoot stuff too? Oh, because his dad was your stereotypical military father who forced his sons to, like, fight Muay Thai cage matches and stuff. Against each other? Uh, against each other and then against other bullies. And, yeah, it was... That's, yeah, that seems it pretty was typical. Pretty pathological, <laughs> yeah. uh, And also, he was um, severely autistic, I think, and so uh-huh. that's why he was so good with the numbers. You know, it, he basically had autism as a superpower,
0: like Russell Crow in that movie. Uh, yeah, Gladiator. But, but he was like actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're done here. <laughs> Uh, So I I will say one thing that you do really well in your games is the sort of world tour kind of Mm -hmm. game where you can hit hit like the landmarks and the the people that make a setting special. Let's do the cool. Yeah. And so um, I think that works much better, certainly in smaller sessions, because you can have more kind of genuine role play um, with, you know, Queen Danelle or whomever. Right. Do you hear that, Ishan?
0: Uh, hold on. I'm uh, creating new NPCs. I want to give me a second. They're going to be really amazing. They're going to be really good at combat. They're going to travel along with you. They're well, they're probably going to actually do
1: all the stuff that you guys are bad at. Well, while you do that, we're going to move on to the character creation. Force. Okay. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with we us. We do
0: love hearing from you.
1: You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you
0: can tweet at Ishan at EvilSendsCarnet, that's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at Cast. You can also email us if you can fit it into 140 characters, at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com.
1: And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We
0: are also on Facebook and Instagram,
1: at Party Thrill so this week in the character creation forge we have the halfling rock slinger what does this have to do with small parties shane oh halflings are, are small sized oh i i see i see you get it yeah uh, uh, what does chucky e. cheese have to do with small parties because we're at the dangerous Chuck E. cheese right now uh nothing because you have large parties at chucky e. cheese everyone knows that. but for small people
0: uh fair all right Gnomes, gnomes love Chuck E. Cheese because they can speak to Chuck E. Cheese, right? Cause, he's cause a, he's a, a rodent. <laughs> yeah. It's a small burrowing creature, <laughs> or he's a, a, a contraption that a tinker gnome built.
1: Oh yeah, that's he's animatronic. Probably more accurate. Terrifyingly animatronic. Gross. So the halfling rock slinger, what it do? Throws rocks. Okay. It's pretty sweet because. That's a halfling
0: trope. I mean, racist, but true. Yeah, they use a
1: sling and they throw stones. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, David and Goliath. Oh yeah, is mm-hmm. that is that mm-hmm. where that comes from? You think? Huh? Because that's not a Tolkien. That's not a Tolkien trope. The sling thing, because they all use is swords. But in the Shire, was there like? We
0: love making pies and are fascinated by fireworks and use slings to throw rocks.
1: Mm, I don't know. I don't actually remember either. It's the, weird. The first place that I ran into it as a, as a trope was in Heroes of Might and Magic.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Uh, the halfling unit for whatever the kingdom or whomever would sling stones. In Baldur's Gate, I would always give everyone either a
0: bow or a sling. Yep. Then you have to be like, oh, God, I need to stock up on arrows and bullets. Yep.
1: <laughs> All right, so what's the
0: build? Rogue 15, Battlemaster Fighter 5. Uh, Shane, what kind
1: of rogue? Uh, does not matter. Awesome. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah, so the basic idea here is that we will use Sneak Attack to boost the damage of a sling, which is only Garbage. a 1d4. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Battlemaster 5, uh, that's fighter, so that gives us all the fighter goodies of action surge, second wind, um, a fighting style, and uh, Battlemaster gives us maneuvers. So most of the maneuvers work off of any weapon attack, so they can be used at range. Some of them you've got to be careful, only grant a melee attack or only trigger on a melee attack, so you want to avoid those. Um, the ones that I like are Goading Attack, which. Um, target makes a wisdom save or it has disadvantage against all other targets that aren't you which is great because you're going to be far away yeah so it's a great ranged debuff um because he's either going to have to provoke attacks of opportunity from whatever melee character is engaged with him to leave and attack you or going to be attacking with disadvantage um distracting strike is also nice um On a hit, uh, you trigger it on a hit, and then the next attack against the target by somebody else has advantage. Which is great if if there's another rogue in the party. Mm -hmm. I love trip attack because I love
0: ranged trips.
1: Yeah, (laughs) the idea that you hit somebody in the knee so hard they collapse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or like while they're running, just that stone makes them trip over their own
1: feet. That snake jumps up and bites them in the buttocks and they fall over. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that that's a strength save or they fall prone. Um, And then parry is always good. That reduces incoming damage.
0: I love the idea of parrying with a swing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that one maybe stretches believability, but eh, roll with it. I'm sure we can find a video on YouTube somewhere of someone being like, it was totally possible. Right. <laughs> maybe they just use a bracer to like deflect it. <laughs>
0: yeah. It'll be the same channel where someone is doing jumping jacks in full plate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for Rogue... Pick your favorite archetype because many of them work here,
1: or actually, most of them just kind of don't work here. <laughs> like they don't give you a whole lot, so you're not giving up much. Um, Assassin is definitely the strongest because assassinate is really good, uh, which is the third level ability. But everything after that doesn't really fit the theme, so it, it isn't a huge deal if you don't take it.
0: But uh, you, you can look, you can impersonate somebody. You just look like a halfling version of them. yeah very very short <laughs> imposter yeah swashbuckler is usually really great but it's very focused on melee combat so it's less
1: useful here master of tactics uh from the mastermind is actually pretty Whoa. handy here um I, I i mean we hate the mastermind but that is the one mastermind ability that is kind of cool Um, That allows you to use the help action on an ally within 30 feet as a bonus action. So one of the drawbacks of being a ranged rogue is that all you're really ever doing with your cunning action is hiding. Mm -hmm. Um, This gives you something else you can do to kind of mix that up
0: you can also take thief if uh, you've decided that you really want to focus on being very sneaky which of course you've got a dex bonus you're probably going to have expertise in stealth mm-hmm. uh, but you can also have advantage
1: uh, at level nine yeah uh, as long as you're not moving too quickly and the thief gives you use magic device which is uh, always a handy ability and you know
0: maybe you find a magic ring let's say yeah <laughs> and you want to I don't know. Usurp its power from
1: its rightful owner. <laughs> sure. You think <laughs> that ring probably grants you invisibility? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the arcane trickster works fine. Um, you know, it's a spellcaster, so uh, it gives you a little bit of utility spells. It's not particularly strong, but since none of these are particularly strong, it's not a terrible option. Yeah,
0: you do get mage hand, ledger domain. You can do some of that stuff from 30 feet away. If you're like a happy-go-lucky. Funny halfling trickster, sure, go for it. As for feats, Skulker is a great one. Uh, You don't end
1: up revealing yourself if you miss, although I prefer not to miss. Yeah, agreed. Lucky is always good. Um, That kind of doubles down on the halfling luck theme of uh, of the character. And then Sharpshooter is a decent option for any rogue because... It means you don't have disadvantage for attacks from long range, which means you can sneak attack from up to your weapon's maximum range.
0: Which is something you might really want to consider when you're using a sling because the short range is only 30 feet, yeah. but the long range is 120.
1: Right. But you know, keep in mind, if you're using abilities that have a range of 30 feet, like Le- Mage Hand, Leisure Domain, or uh, Master of Tactics, if, if those are the archetypes you choose, maybe that sharpshooter feat has limited benefit.
0: All right. So Shane, tell me about your halfling rock slinger.
1: So my halfling rock slinger grew up in a halfling community, uh, not too far outside of a larger, more cosmopolitan kind of town, um, where he was a champion slinger. Uh, He grew up as a marksman, as a trick rock slinger. And so he has a bunch of little nifty precision abilities that he has learned as part of a performance. So he's definitely going to have charisma. He's definitely going to have um, training in the persuasion and performance skills. Probably not persuasion, definitely performance. (laughs) Um, And actually, instead of taking the archer fighting, archery fighting style, which is, you know, gives you a plus two bonus to uh, ranged attacks, I'm going to take. Two weapon fighting, so that I can use a sling in both hands, and <laughs> just ignore how those bullets are getting into the sling. Yeah, it's part of the action. It's fine. <laughs>
0: uh, hacky sack, right? You you kick them with your feet. <laughs> fine. I go. I'm fine with it. Yeah.
1: So uh, as a as a fighter <laughs> as a fighter rogue, I would have three chances at uh, sneak attack damage each round. Though only one of them will really be firing for effect. But that also gives you more chances in a round to use superiority dice. Um, and then, you know, all of the Battlemaster maneuvers are all just tricks that uh, that he learned for performance. How about you, Ishan?
0: My halfling rockslinger didn't grow up around halflings. She grew up in a human or elven community. It's more cosmopolitan because it's not necessarily weird to be a halfling, but she was certainly in the minority. And small. And probably small for a halfling. But stout of heart... Because she was brave and and lucky as well. Mm -hmm. Always wanted, always needed to prove herself, right? Believed that she was capable, thought that she could, like, stand on her own. Uh, And, of course, society was at war. They were at war with um, the goblins. Mm -hmm. Let's just go with that. Sure. Uh, So as she was growing up, all of her, like, able-bodied human friends and also bullies and rivals were going off to war. Um, They were joining up and, like, being accepted. And when she went to join up, they were like, "Ah, I'm sorry, you need to be this tall to join the army. (laughs) Uh, So, like, we don't have anything for you. We have horses and not riding dogs. (laughs) So I don't know what we're going to do. Like, never mind. You can't cast spells? We don't care. (laughs) Get out of here. And so she had to join, like, the city guard, who normally wouldn't have taken her. But, of course, all the able-bodied people were fighting the war, so they were like, uh Fine, I guess. Like a body's a body. You, yeah. can, you can look at stuff. Right, right. You know, you know. One day there was a there was a route and the goblins made it all the way to the city. And of course, what does she do? But uh, proves that she's an able combatant by felling quite a few of the the enemy with well placed sling bullets.
1: Nice. Yeah. The sling sniper.
0: And then they say, "We would like you to join the army," and she says, "Go screw." I'm going to be an adventurer.
1: Nice. Alright, if you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a 5-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out, we'll read your 5-star review on the air.
0: You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. If you leave us a review, the algorithms will help other people find us.
1: So this week we have a 5-star review from Long Druid. This is TPK. This podcast kills it. For me, Total Party Thrill is part of the triumvirate of best 5EDM advice podcasts around joining the Dungeon Master's Block and the RPG Academy. The hosts are very knowledgeable, have a great chemistry in their banter, and inject the right amount of humor. Their passion of the game will keep you coming back for more. I only wish I had found them sooner.
0: I usually use, um, you know, so those plastic turkey basters. That is what I typically use to inject the right amount of humor. Because you can just measure it. It's really nice.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I edit all of the humor to make it funny. <laughs> So we've just sat <laughs> recording words from the dictionary, and I plug every them in. single one of them. So actually, all the jokes come from me in post. Um,
0: I actually outsource it. I um find a writer
1: or a voice actor.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, you you can find someone to you know mimic my. Actually, I am not on this podcast. No, <laughs> just just a <laughs> the paid voice thing, actor. The whole thing has been outsourced. Uh-huh. Right, I, I get a writer and I get someone to record the audio. I really need to get someone to do the editing because
1: yeah, I know you've done this entirely wrong.
0: (laughs) It was make me funny. Um, I won't. I don't pay much, but I pay in American dollars.
1: (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so thank you, Long Druid. That's a a very nice review, and uh, you know our our friends at the DMs Block and at the RPG Academy um, absolutely agree. They're both uh, great shows as well. So, what do we have planned for next week's episode? Well, we're talking about how to fudge your die rolls. And in the Character Creation Forge, we
0: are building someone named Clutch.
1: Well, that's it for episode 93 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.